Hello, and thank you for listening to the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal podcast. The Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal is co-sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators and the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics. My name is Eva Thanheiser, and today I'm talking with Jennifer Sa, Professor of Mathematics Education at George Mason University, and Sarah Burkett, who is a graduate lecturer and math coach, also at George Mason University and Manassas City Public Schools. We will be discussing the article, Developing an Asset-Based View of Students' Mathematical Competencies Through Learning Trajectory-Based Lesson Study, which was published in the June 2021 issue of the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal. We will begin by summarizing the main points of the article and discuss in more depth the lessons they shared in the article, their successes and challenges, and how these lessons relate to their other work. Jennifer and Sarah, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having us. We're really excited to be on. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. All right. So let's jump uh, right in. Can you give us a brief summary of the article, including the results? Sure. And I'd love to just give a shout out to my team. We had an awesome team of math teacher educators. So I want to give a shout out to Toya Frank, Courtney Baker, Terry Galanti, and Padu Sashir. We just had a, a wonderful professional development team. So I want to say that. But our article really showcases the work that we've been doing. We actually had a three-year project and this was coming. This article showcases a learning trajectory-based lesson study that we engaged our teachers in as we were doing a content course focused on spatial reasoning. And really, our, the focus of our professional development was really to promote equity in the classroom. And so really focusing on equitable teaching practices. So we actually engaged our teachers in lesson study using a tool that we developed um, that really leaned on a lot of the work that I'll mention a lot today. But of course, the true framework, as well as looking at a lot of group-worthy tasks using complex instruction. So we use a vault to help teachers kind of look at the learning trajectory. And what we showcase in this article is one of the lessons in a middle grades class that really allowed us to showcase how teachers moved away from just looking at, you know, standards and looking at competencies in a, in a really narrow way, but to kind of broaden what we mean by math competencies by moving away from just grade level expectations, by looking at really the, the broader learning trajectories research around you know, different mathematical concepts. So that's kind of our summary. All right. So who did you write this article for or who do you think should read this article? We were talking about it and the tools that we, you know, developed here, we think have great use for all levels of mathematics teacher educators, whether you're a teacher leader providing professional development for your team or leading your own team in lesson study, a math coach, or a, doesn't even have to be math necessarily, but obviously a math, a math coach or district level supervisor, but all the way up through university educators, you know, also these experiences could be valuable for both graduate teachers and graduate programs, but also for pre-service teachers. In specific, this focus on learning trajectory being a part of the planning process so intentionally just really brought out the asset-based views of students. And so anyone who is looking for ways to do that, even, I mean, we don't usually see teachers necessarily reading research work, but I think teachers who are focused on that could enjoy this article as well and find it very practical. Okay. So let's dig a little bit deeper into it. What 
prompted you to do this work or what's the important problem that you're addressing with this paper? We think this article actually tackles a problem of practice that we probably are currently facing as we're kind of going back. I mean, it's not post-pandemic. We're still kind of in the pandemic. But, you know, how do we really meet the needs of, of students? And oftentimes, not by the fault of any, any teacher, really, but we end up looking at a lot of the summative assessment to kind of screen students and a lot of that's going on too. And what happens is that we kind of fall into deficit language or deficit views uh, when we're kind of starting to look at gaps of gaps in student understanding. And so we really wanted to focus on moving away from that orientation to kind of have this orientation of looking at students' strength and how we can kind of understand the edges of students' understanding, the edges to kind of push them forward and advance their learning. So we think that this article kind of tackles a problem that's probably really relevant and and current, especially this current year. And this focus of, like, you know, Sarah was saying, the learning trajectories to kind of find where are our students within this learning trajectory and how do we move them forward? without focusing on any gaps. And and we think that that really supports this asset-based approach that we were really excited to engage our teachers in. So let me see if I can rephrase this. The idea is that we are going to use learning trajectories, which is this understanding of what one needs to know to know the next thing. Is that kind of how you would define learning trajectories? Yeah, and we really uh, try to use some framing. You know, Jerry Comfrey has a really nice way of unpacking the learning trajectory. So we kind of use that um, to help us unpack the learning trajectory with our teachers. And that involved, you know, really looking at, you know, big ideas and the important conceptual principles within a particular mathematical content area. You know, what are some common conceptions? And we try to move away from misconceptions, but there are lots of conceptions that kids come with. And so that was really important for us to kind of address. And we often talk about representations and models and what would be really helpful for us to kind of use to advance the knowledge. So a lot of our work, we started in the summer and the, the lesson study actually took place in the fall as a follow-up. What was great was that the summer, the teachers really just kind of delved into content and that really gave them, you know, a firm understanding of how students learn mathematics. And then during the fall, when we did the lesson study, we chose a group-worthy task that allowed us to kind of talk about that content in a more specific way. And that really helped us kind of look at, you know, What are some of the concepts that might be bridging concepts? What are some ways that kids might actually solve this problem? And what might they bring to the table? Like what strategies or what concepts that they already know from their prior experience might they use to solve this problem? There's this continuum, right? Like if you're learning something where you have to know a few things and then you can build on those things to develop knowledge. Your answer was amazing, and it kind of jumped over the next three questions. So I'm just going to stick with that. But we could wrap our heads around an example to kind of for the listeners. So how do I go about finding out where my students are at? If I like, And what does knowing the continuum help me do that I wouldn't be able to do otherwise? I think the example in the article is a really good place to start. And so this was students figuring out area specifically in this task of the pattern blocks. And 
when our teachers sat down to think about how their kids would students would access this task, they laid out based on the research that they did on learning trajectories, what they thought students would do. So their first, you know, sort of their idea was that students who maybe didn't quite yet have the conceptions they needed to access the task and be really successful at it in a really reasoning way might just look at the shapes and guess. They know that the green triangle is smaller than the you know, red hexagon. So they're going to have some just sort of intuitive guesses, but that as students would progress, right, both the standards and the learning trajectory suggest that they're going to start using tools. So they might start using the unit square or using grid paper, right? And so they suggested that as the next level of learning and that then they would be able to identify composed and decomposed shapes to find the relationships between. And finally, they might start measuring and using formulas. So what we found is that the teachers, you know, often we would identify a high school student who was using grid paper, perhaps in a deficit way. But rather, what happened was that the teachers instead saw that, oh, that student is here on the learning trajectory. That student is at this place where they're ready to count grids. They understand how to count part of a grid. They don't yet have access to the formulas and how to apply them to this shape that's slightly irregular, for example. So the, the task to was to find the area of the different pattern blocks? It was actually to order the pattern blocks from smallest to largest two-dimensional area. Okay. If you ordered the blocks, some of them are very obviously smaller and larger. So why is this a group-worthy task? Or what made this task a cognitively demanding task? It actually, interestingly, this happened both in our grade levels and how our, how our team approached the task, right? Obviously, most students know or pretty early learn the relationship between the green triangle, you know, two green triangles makes a blue rhombus, you know, a blue rhombus and a green triangle or three green triangles makes a red trapezoid. The two trapezoids make the, the hexagon. But then there's the square, the, the orange square and the white rhombus. And those two don't make a neat decomposition of the other figures. So then they have to come up with a different reasoning and a different way, some way to investigate relationships in order to find the area and figure out where those two would fall within okay. that area. And that piece there, working out that logic and reasoning is, is really fun and, and engaging and high level. And so if we think about learning trajectory, would this be an elementary school task as well? Or would you expect elementary school students to be able to, and how would they go about it versus middle school versus high school? I think it was really interesting because we did actually have a vertical lesson study team. And we did have, I think uh, one of our youngest classes that did did it was a fourth grade classroom. And so there were times where there was some productive struggle and the teacher would say, okay, let's just kind of look at these set of blocks and would kind of leave the rhombus out for a little while so the kids actually could make sense of the sizes of the pattern blocks. And oftentimes the teachers noticed that it wasn't actually area oftentimes that they were talking about. It was actually proportional reasoning and ratios. And, and so that was a kind of an interesting aha moment because because a task is open in that way, there's a lot of ways, a multiple array of competencies that you could actually bring up. Like the student knows relative size and knows how to compare quantities. For example, like figure five was what they call the house. And it became a really great talking point, a conversational piece during our debrief. 
where the students were trying to figure out the relative size of these pattern blocks, and they would actually construct a house with a triangle and a square. And that's, that was the most typical, like, you know, arrangement. But then they realized they could put two rhombi and a triangle together and get that same figure. And then they realized, oh, well, if I know that there are two triangles, you know, one in each of these shapes, I'm going to cancel those out. And then I know that the square is actually 16 square units. So that means that the rhombus must be eight. And so that was a really like amazing, you know, uh, reasoning that the teachers showcased during the debrief. And it was one of those examples where the teachers were able to kind of assign competence in that particular student's work or that group's work, because it was just a really nice reasoning and proof strategy that kids could get. They could see it and they could understand, oh, well, that's a little bit of algebra there. There's a little bit of, you know, comparing quantities and looking at a lot of the the geometric shapes to decompose. So I think it was accessible in fourth grade and there was a lot of good productive struggle that the teacher showcased. And it was interesting that even like the upper grade, you'll read some of the quotes where the kids might kind of start to see like, oh, get frustrated. And then they say, oh, there's a kindergarten way to do it. And they would pull a graph paper. And so Sarah and I were talking about, well, wow, that's some funds of knowledge that they're coming with, right? They know that there are some tools that they can use to kind of overcome some of this hurdle, like, you know, and what was, I think, amazing was that you know, oftentimes we kind of look at the CRA or CPA, concrete, representational and abstract as kind of one of the ways that you go from informal ideas to more formal ideas. But in this case, the teachers realize, you know what, pulling a formula sheet and using a ruler to plug in numbers was not as exciting in terms of reasoning as the other strategies were. And so, you know, we often value certain things that we find to be sophisticated, but In this scenario, it was really interesting that the other ways were more sophisticated in their reasoning than pulling a ruler and a formula sheet and plugging it in. So I think that was another real aha moment during the debrief with the teachers. So let me wrap my head around the larger intervention you're talking about. So we have an idea of the task you use now. So in your work with the teachers, How did you go about this learning trajectory understanding? And then how did that play out in a lesson study? At the time, we had the the learning trajectory, Turn On CC, it was called. And Jerry Confrey, of course, had, you know, years and years of research just on her website. And then we actually kind of use that almost as our text in learning about the learning trajectory. And actually, since then, that website is no longer there. But we also used um, like essential understanding the documents from NCTM. But when we were actually kind of going through the course, I think teachers engaged in the math content. But it wasn't until I think during the lesson study where we took a real task and we took it into the classroom that the teachers really understood what we meant by kind of that hypothetical learning trajectory, right? Because we talk about this in research a lot, that it's, there's multiple paths that kids might take. It's not linear. Jerry called it like a rock, a climbing rock, right? You have, and so kids might reach and kind of pull some of the knowledge that they have to kind of make sense. And I mean, I think that's kind of the strength of it, right? That you could actually use a lot of different related math to solve this problem. But it wasn't until the lesson study that the teachers really understood what we meant by using their learning trajectories to really kind of 
look at the strength in student thinking. But it was very clear during the lesson study that that's what was happening. They were starting to see, oh, well, did you just the appreciation of strategies. And I think one other point that comes up is like looking at different kinds of ways students would interact with each other. And maybe this is not really related to learning trajectory, but one thing that was really amazing that Sarah and I talked about highlighting today was also this notion of how teachers, we spent a lot of time talking about supporting English language learners. Uh, We teach in a very diverse area. And so one of the ways that the teachers wanted to support students was to have a lot of tools and whether it's grid paper or manipulatives. They also noticed that there were groups of students working together on the task and explaining to one another, you know, and kind of making those mathematical argumentation that we really want to see in their native language. And although the students weren't 100% sure about the area and they were kind of mixing and moving all of the shapes, what was really interesting was that the teacher says, you know, as they were participating and completing the task, they learned what it was along the way. And I think that that was really powerful that they were uh, relying on each other as a resource and making sense of it. So in that way, I think the group worthy task was very powerful in that it allowed them to kind of make justifications and convince one another. So I just jumped into the appendix of your paper where you lay out five pieces starting with analyzing the tasks, then mapping out the learning trajectory, equitable access to content, asset-based evidence of student learning, and reflecting. And so I just wanted to point out that that is part of the people are interested in pulling it down. And for each of them, you give some information of what that looks like. I'm envisioning that, so you said in the summer, you guys dug into the content, maybe looked at the learning trajectories. So then how do I decide how to implement once I have that? So one of the things that I think is so cool about this PD that we had was that we had the teachers divide into teams and we intentionally tried to make those teams vertical. We did them a little bit geographically so that they didn't have to travel quite so far because we do have a pretty big geographic area. And then every team got a math coach who helped them through that tool that you just referenced, um, that vault tool that's in the appendix that helped them decide what is the content they're going to address with the task. Okay, what task is going to, you know, meet that content? Let's analyze it. Let's make sure it, you know, meets the requirements of a group-worthy task. Let's, you know, really place it in the learning trajectory. How are we going to make sure that all students have access to this? And that process happened over the course of two or three Saturday meetings. Is that right, Jen? And so they had time to really think and come back to it and dig deep into the task, how they were going to implement it, what it would look like before the host teacher did that. Let me check quickly. When you said vertical, that means middle and high school teachers? Or what do you mean by that? Yeah, it was this particular group was fourth grade, fifth grade, seventh grade and high school, I think. Okay. And they all implemented the exact same task or adapted versions of the task? The task was exactly the same. What they did is, um, like Jen mentioned, some of them withheld the yes. most, the, the lower grade teachers actually withheld both the square and the white rhombus, let the kids get successful right. with the first four easy shapes, and then gave them one of the two to place rather than giving them all six shapes at once. Did you do different tasks as well? Is this, this is an example task. Yeah, so each lesson study chose a different group-worthy task. This particular group, 
did the pattern block task, but we had other lesson studies that we did with different teams. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. This is really cool to be able to see the same task implemented across so many levels. So then they all implemented it and watched each other's implementation, I'm assuming, since that's what lesson study is. And then they reflected together. We had to host lesson study and then they were all there to watch it. And then when we did our respective lesson study, the second iteration for our particular lesson study cycle, they did uh, video clips of their own. Like, so the fourth grade teacher went and did hers and videotaped it. And so we used a video annotation tool. At the time, I think we were using Go React. We've used Athena before and Go React. But what, what was nice is that because they had this collective experience watching the middle school lesson, when they went and kind of did their own iteration of the lesson, they had a frame of reference. And so they watched each other's. And then we had a symposium where they showcased their lesson study at the end so they could share out there. And so... so- Now the MTE question that is, what did they learn or how do you know it worked? I think the thing that blew us away in the moment that made us decide in that moment we had to write about this team was that the, so the host lesson was in a high school classroom and there were groups in that classroom that did not successfully rank the five figures in order, you know, actually according to their area. Never once during what a 90 minute debrief did we hear a single negative utterance about any student or their work or where they were in their math journey. Everything we heard was a celebration of what the kids could do and how they did it and what great reasoning they had seen. And I think we were just totally blown away by that in the moment because here was a high school geometry class, right? And so the expectation that we might have seen was that they could get down to the decimal, that exact area by using a formula and a ruler, you know, and that didn't happen. And that was great. The teachers were not upset about it. They didn't even comment on it. You know, that was what we were hoping for, but I don't know that we were super confident we would see it, you know, come out that um, dramatically. I think the other piece that, you know, the proof that this was successful kind of thing is that a lot of the teacher reflections really kind of showcase this notion of honoring students' diverse abilities and also having teaching practices that actually gave opportunities for students to share their thinking and their strengths. Because I think that, like, I think the mathematical task is really important, but if the structure in the classroom or the practices are not set up so that kids actually have the opportunity to showcase their thinking, then I think that you're not going to have this notion of developing students' agency. And so one example is that collective thinking math that the teachers actually, they actually kind of created that as a team when they started to think about, well, we definitely want students to have individual think time, but how can we get students to think about their diverse strategies that they came up with? And so they come up, came up with this group thinking math to celebrate the individual and collective thinking. And that was really kind of the proof that, that our teachers were kind of really moving from um, what we were really hoping. They were you know, changing their practices and putting, putting structures in the classroom that would provide more opportunities for students to feel success in the classroom. And I think that's kind of what we were trying to make sure we would get at the end of our professional development. And when we saw those kinds of artifacts come up during their share at their symposium, we knew that that was the evidence that we 
wanted to see as part of the success of the intervention, if that makes sense. So one question we like to ask too, was there any challenges that you encountered? Yeah. So I think some of the challenges that we you know, thought about this notion that You know, I think learning trajectory has been in math education for many, many decades, right? You know, we all know Marty Simon's work, and we know that there are many, many research in between. And, and of course, we have leaned heavily on Palestine and Holt and Meyer's work with learning trajectory-based instruction. And, of course, there's volumes and volumes of books on learning trajectory. But I think the challenge is, is that still that research is not in the hands of teachers and coaches. That became really apparent when we, you know, conducted lesson study and we we're trying to find the right kind of palatable, sizable research that could be at the tip of teachers' fingertips. And we feel like that's still a challenge of getting teachers to move away from standards because that's what they're responsible for teaching day in and day out. And to kind of start thinking about, well, what does that concept really mean? And what are the big ideas? And what do we know from research? And how will that help us? And that still, I feel like we still have a, a good challenge in math teacher education and math research to really translate that learning trajectory research so that it's usable for teachers and coaches when they do something like this. Well, I'll say one other thing that we had is, you know, you mentioned that we weren't quite sure that the teachers really got the learning trajectories until they saw them in action, which I agree with. And the, even with all the work that we did during the summer on learning trajectories, to your point about really trying to get more to the big ideas and the types of thinking and whatever, you know, this team did such a great job analyzing their task, but their trajectory that they predicted was still completely within that CPA, right? Concrete to pictorial to abstract. And what actually ended up happening was much wider than that with all of the, you know, ratios and whatever. But, but you know, even seeing within the learning trajectories that those were related topics, that still wasn't where their focus was. So I just think that's still an ongoing challenge to open up the content and the um, resources that teachers have access to so that they do see all of the different interrelationships between math strands and, and are able to leverage the work that they're doing, you know, to the maximum benefit. So if we wanted to summarize, uh, how would you characterize the contribution of your paper? I think one of the contributions, you know, math teacher educators have at their disposal a lot of wonderful math education research. And we think that learning trajectory-based lesson study is one way that we can really get the research in the hands of teachers and coaches in ways that actually can bring equity to the forefront. And we think that that's a really usable way to use learning trajectory and, and deepen teachers' content while allowing them to appreciate the multiple strategies that students might come with. We feel like this could be a very timely resource for teachers and coaches and math teacher educators, especially, I think, while we're kind of building back better. There's a lot of different kinds of phrases that we use right now that we're trying to kind of really strengthen our students. And there's a lot of asset-based approaches that's being highlighted because we know that our math identity is, you know, a really fragile thing. And we really want to build up our students and make sure that they feel confident and competent to do mathematics. And we feel that using the learning trajectory as a focus can really allow teachers to see where kids are within that learning continuum. And again, find the edges of where they are so we can advance them. And so that's 
what we're hoping that article can do, and perhaps maybe the vault might be a good mechanism to have that conversation with more teachers. And if I were interested in doing this with a group of teachers, you mentioned earlier you used essential understandings. Where would I turn to create my trajectory? So that's a great question. I think for our early grades, K3, we've used Doug Clemens and Julie Samaris's Learning Trajectories website. Their website not only has instructional activities, but they also have kind of nameable stages that might help just teachers see how that progression works, which I think is really nice for like early grades up to third grade. And then we also, of course, have the Math Mapper that Jerry Conakry, you know, developed. And there are some great assessments uh, that's tied to some of those kinds of progression as well. We think the learning progression document from Arizona obviously gives us a really good understanding of how that happens with the curriculum kind of all intact. I think teachers appreciate, especially if they're common core states, to read that because that really gives them a nice progression of how things develop. We're actually in a state where it's not common core, but we we are kind of building up some materials that's going to help build that as well. So I think those are some places, obviously, all of the NCTM essential understandings document, I think, really focus on those big ideas and learning trajectory-based research. There is no lack of research. I mean, I think there's great research out there. It's just not in the hands of teachers. So I feel like for coaches and math leaders and math supervisors, how do we you know, have some book studies around some of these big ideas? I think that would be a really nice way to do it as well. So you really kind of go deep focused and kind of go into the depth of those concepts. I think that would be a nice way to approach it. Okay, so let me close out by just asking an open question. Is there anything else you would like to add that we didn't touch on or anything you want to promote? So actually, one thing that we talked about in the paper that I don't, I'm trying to think back and I don't think we mentioned is one of the things that happened both because of the learning trajectories and because this team was so vertical in their grade levels is that we did talk about that they provided so many models and tools for the students. And the thing that happened with that is, I think, two things. First, that really you know gives the problem much wider walls. The students who went straight to the formula sheet and got stuck could then move on. They could try a different strategy. And so that was so powerful. But the other thing that happened was that the tools kind of got equated a little bit by the students, like, oh, they said, we said that, you know, oh, that's a kindergarten tool. But the teachers recognized that, no, they were still finding the shape of very odd rhombus, right? Like, and the perceptions of students' tool use and how that goes, and the teachers recognizing that though the students may, you know, have some notions about that, the teachers saw the value and really opened that up. And I think that that is one of the ways that we support students in equity is making sure tools are available and seeing the value of tools in this context, I think is super important and and a good illustration. Here's one last thing that, I mean, I think we talked about this, but one thing that I think is really important to think about is this notion of when teachers learn more deeply about the learning trajectory, I think they're, they're better able to anticipate the student's strategies and the range that might be in the classroom. And because of that knowledge, I think they might have a better footing on how they might actually assign competence and honor students' thinking. And I think that that's the kind of connection that 
learning trajectory, along with lesson studies, affordance of anticipating students' strategies, you know, really allows you to kind of use that knowledge to kind of really work on those, those big ideas that's part of that complex instruction, like how do you assign competence and make sure that students are feeling like their work is being honored and that more mathematical thinking is happening because these different ideas are coming together during the, the class discussion and summary. Yeah, as I was reading your article, I was reading it as the big idea I walked away with, if, if I do this, then I'm going to be much more able to notice where my students are and have tools to kind of know where I would want to guide them towards to move along on the learning trajectory. So this idea of asset base that's in your title, right, and goes through is really like the main idea that I took away. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. And I hope folks will read it and enjoy it. And maybe it'll be a good structure or PD model for them to engage in this year. Yes, absolutely. I enjoyed being here. Thank you. And well, feel- I just want to let you know that I already am planning on using this in the fall term because it's just so cool. I'm trying to wrap my head around how to do it. But I hope that many people find it useful. And if they do, to let you guys know, contact you, um, talk to you about it. And for further information on this topic, as well as other topics, you can find this article on the Mathematics Teacher Educator website. This has been your host, Eva Thanizer. Thank you for listening and goodbye.